A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Podcast Network Asia. I think for the longest time, I really resisted um, certain aspects about the need to please other people, even if they're not necessarily something I believed in. You're listening to Project Loving Myself podcast, a well-being podcast that shares stories of self-love, mental fortitude, and self-discovery. Hosted by life designer and well-being coach, Sanaya Gurnamal. Hi, I'm Sanaya Gurnamal, and this is the Project Loving Myself podcast. Join me each week as we navigate through aha moments, new ideas, and flashes of insight from candid conversations that inspire you to get started on your own project of loving yourself. Because the most important relationship you will ever have is the relationship that you have with yourself. You matter. This is Project Loving Myself. Hey there, beautiful souls. Thank you for joining me on another enlightening episode of the Project Loving Myself podcast. Let me show you what today's episode is all about. Go ahead and close your eyes for me and picture this. You're on a road trip, cruising down the highway of self-discovery with your windows down and the wind playing in your hair. It's a quest to uncover your mission and life purpose to align your values, beliefs, and actions, and to surround yourself with a powerful support system that propels you forward. How does that feel? Are you ready for it? Let's dive right in. You can go ahead and open your eyes now. When it comes to finding your life purpose, it's like putting together the pieces of a puzzle. We often search for that missing piece, the one that brings us fulfillment and a sense of meaning. But here's the secret. The puzzle isn't scattered across different realms. It's within us. It's been there all along. The journey to discovering our mission begins by aligning our values, our beliefs, and then our actions. It's about creating harmony between who we are, what we believe in, and how we show up in the world. Think of it as a dance. Imagine your values as the rhythm, your beliefs as the melody, and your actions as the graceful steps you take. When these elements are in sync, you experience a state of flow, a beautiful harmony that propels you towards your life purpose. But how do we cultivate this alignment? How do we ensure that every step we take resonates with our core being? That's where today's guest comes in. I am beyond excited to introduce you to a true powerhouse, Eleanor Pinugu, but she's better known as Lynn. She's an educator, a social entrepreneur, an international speaker, and an advocacy communications expert. Lynn's commitment to education for all, 
women empowerment, and elevating discourse has made an extraordinary impact in the Philippines and beyond. Her work as the co-founder and executive director of Mano Amiga Philippines, the co-founder and CEO of She Talks Asia, and the co-founder and president of Bistro Cafe, and now a columnist for Philippine Daily Inquirer is nothing short of inspiring. Lynn Pinugu is definitely a force to be reckoned with. Through her organizations, she's breaking barriers and creating opportunities for underprivileged children by providing mentorship and economic empowerment to women and girls and fostering genuine and respectful discussions within society. You just have to read some of her columns, some of the things that she's written to really get a sense of this in her writing. Lynn's passion for aligning her values, beliefs, and actions has not only allowed her to fulfill her life purpose, but has also transformed the lives of countless others. This is why we are so privileged to have Lynn join us as we delve into the significance of creating alignment in our own lives. We'll explore today how discovering our mission and life purpose can bring about profound meaning and fulfillment to our lives. And we'll uncover the essential role of having a strong support system in getting us to move forward towards our goals and dreams. Get ready now to be inspired, motivated, and empowered as we go deep into this enriching conversation with Lynn Pinuku. Welcome to the podcast, Lynn. Hi, Sanaya. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. Thank you for such a lovely introduction. You're very welcome, Lynn. There was a lot to write about you. I mean, your <laughs> accolades go pretty far back, right? So I'm really excited, honestly, to talk to you about all these amazing things that you've done. So to start with, Lynn, you are truly a woman with a vision, and I am truly honored to have you here. Now, with your impressive accomplishments and dedication to making a difference, you are like the embodiment of someone who has found their life purpose and has created this perfect alignment in her journey. Can you tell us a little bit more about your path to self-discovery and how you actually found this mission? Like, how did you get there and how did it, you know, all align? Because it seems so easy, but I know that it can't have been. So I think that in my case, my sense of mission actually came before I really found my sense of self. And it's because when I was in university, I was about I was about to finish my sophomore year of college when I got a call from my mom and she shared with me that, you know, she won't be able to or she was about to lose her job. And it was really a time wherein my parents were undergoing financial difficulty. And I remember thinking to myself, because I got into my dream school and I really love, you know, being part of that university. But at the same time, I felt like I was also taking my studies for granted. Like I only did well in subjects that I liked. And in fact, I even, you know, had the tendency to cut classes for subjects that I felt were not things I was going to use in the future. And that moment, I remember it so vividly until now. I just was so so afraid that I was going to lose my spot, right? Because I wasn't sure if we we're still going to be able to afford it. And what happened was I was very fortunate. There was an announcement for a journalism scholarship. And because really my, 
my original passion was to be a journalist, I joined that essay competition and the prize was a scholarship and I won. And I won it again the second time the year after. So that really allowed me to study for free. But of course, it got me thinking. The reason why I won is because I'm a good writer. And because I'm a, I'm a good writer because the school that my high school and, and my grade school education nurtured that talent, right? And I kept thinking, what about those children who didn't have the same opportunity? And that's when I really made up my mind. I didn't know how yet um, that, you know, I, was, I wanted to find a way to make sure that I can make these opportunities available also for, for younger children. How do we make good education available for children who cannot afford it? And I guess that's why, that's when um, I realized that, you know, I need to find a way to contribute in some way. And that's how my sense of mission was formed very early on. But in terms of finding <laughs> my sense of self, I feel like that came much later. I feel like that sense of self really came actually when I was already in my 30s. Um, when I started to see that no matter how successful you are in life, because I did achieve success at a very young age, you know, I was very lucky. I had, I was able, you know, I put up Mano Amiga when I was 23 years old and it was some model inspired by something I saw in Mexico. And I had a group of people here who were very supportive to help me put it up. Um, so again, I achieved some sort of success very early on. But I realized that the thing with success is that it can also feel hollow um, if it's not grounded on your values. And I feel like the that part, really the, you know, like articulating my values, reflecting, reflecting on my values, making sure all my decisions are aligned with that only happened uh, maybe in my late 20s. When I, I sat down and I said, um, you know, there has to be a better way of making sure that I don't get lost in the world, right? Because the world can be quite confusing sometimes. And yeah, so I guess in terms of finding that sense of mission and sense of purpose, I had a personal why very early on. And then later... What strengthened that path, again, is making sure I know what are the things that I stand for. It sounds so beautiful, honestly, Lynn. And I, I've always noticed that people's mission, their purpose, almost always starts with some kind of challenge or difficulty in their lives. I think in your case, you know, you talked about how, I, I'm sure for a moment in there, you were you were really stressed or worried about not being able to, you know, go and go to your dream college and af afford it, right? And if you hadn't won that competition, life could have looked very different, right? And so I think that what any anyone listening in, right? If anyone's listening in, that's something they could kind of go back and reflect upon in their life. You know, what has been their difficulty? What has been the challenge? You know, what, what situation in their life, right, is kind of the, the fuel that could motivate them or that could be the fire, you know, underneath their belly to get them to actually find their purpose or to, to look for something that um, can eventually become their why, right? 
But I think you also identified something really important that even though you may have your why, you may have a reason for being, or you may have a mission or a purpose, you know, if you don't take action, if you don't keep growing on that journey, if you don't keep working on yourself, you aren't really going to get very far with that, right? And in your case, you have really, you know, you have really gone, I would say, quite far with almost every single thing that you believe in. You know, you've actually done something. You've walked the talk. Um, and so I kind of want to ask you about these three pillars, like these um, three areas that you have really dedicated a lot of your time, effort, and energy to. So talk to me about that. And I like the fact that you've also brought up values. So talk to me about these three pillars and how they, uh, you know, they align with what you believe in or your values. Right. So the three pillars that Sanaya is referring to, for those who are listening, um, it's the three things that I committed to sort of um, orient my work around or orient my life around. And the three things are... Quality education for all, right? Making quality education more accessible, empowering women, and elevating discourse. So let me go through each one. So like I shared earlier, really my personal why is because I know what it felt like not to have a good education or not, no, not to, or to, for your education to be threatened, right? And I also can honestly say that the reason why I'm here, why I'm able to articulate my story is because somebody decided to invest in my potential. Somebody made it possible for me to receive or to continue receiving that good education. And so when the opportunity came up in 2008, I got a call after a year of living in Mexico saying that they wanted to put up Mano Amiga in the Philippines. And Mano Amiga means helping hand in English, uh, sorry, in Spanish. And I, for, like I mentioned, I first encountered it when I was living in Mexico as an international volunteer. And in 2008, someone offered to, uh, they offered to put it up in the Philippines. And they asked me, because again, I had some exposure when I was living in Mexico. And even though I was only 23 years old, I had no background in education as in zero. And I've also never led a team. And then here I am being asked to put up an entire school. Um, really, I don't know why I said yes looking back. But I did tell my... It sounds like a lot. Right? It sounds like a lot, but also sounds like such an incredible opportunity. I know. To like serve your country, serve your people. Wow. And really, if I didn't make that promise to my younger self, right, if the if that younger self didn't make that promise that I was going to find a way to contribute, I wouldn't have said yes. The power of words, uh, very, it's also very important. Anyway, so um, what, what pushed me to say yes is that I may not be an experienced educator, but I'm a very experienced student. So I knew exactly um, you know, what I loved about the education I had received and I want, what I wanted to improve. And those are the things that I applied to Manomiga. And of course, it's um, you know, it's it's trial and error. I made some mistakes, but I'm very happy to share that two Fridays ago, the kids who started with us at kindergarten graduated from 12th grade. 
So these kids whom I met at five years old and I was only 23 finally graduated. And some of them, their dreams are to become a teacher because they want to go back to Mano Amiga. They want to teach because they want to be able to pay forward the kind of assistance they had received. I have students who are now studying to be doctors. And, you know, sorry, I'm getting <laughs> It's my own. No, really, like, it's really being able to see these kids grow up to be so confident and, and just feeling that they can do anything. To me, that's that's really the i guess the the culmination or or the best affirmation i can ever get right so for sure <laughs> it must be so deeply satisfying like you're looking at these people who you've essentially nurtured right right they're like almost like your children exactly. because they're all grown up right yeah. wow and you know incredible if there's any wisdom i want to share it's that sometimes you know when you when you pursue your passion you think it's going to be easy but really, there were many times throughout those 15 years of being in Manomiga that I wanted to quit because it was just so difficult. It was just so tiring. And when you work in the nonprofit world, the challenges never end. But because I kept going back to my why and I kept asking myself, does this, does this still align with what I stand for, with my personal mission? And because the answer why yes, I stuck to it. And really now, I want to tell everyone, please, if... If, you know, sometimes it's just tempting to give up and to quit because it's too hard. But if you really feel that's aligned with your personal mission, stick to it because there are no words to articulate just how fulfilling it is um, for me to see those kids and the, what the things they were able to accomplish because of Mano Omega. So, Lynn, that was pillar number one, education for all. Tell me about pillar number two, women empowerment. As a young female founder, um, so like I said, I put up Mano Amigo when I was only 23 years old. And because part of my job is fundraising, I found myself meeting with a lot of C-suite leaders from different companies. And I always noticed that, first of all, the people, the people I was meeting with were mostly men, right? And then second, I also felt that they would listen more if I was accompanied by a male board member or a male trustee, even if I've already been working in Manomiga for, I think, four years or five years at the time. And I really was the person leading the organization, right? So no one would be an expert on it more than I am. But I always felt I needed the presence of a man to validate whatever it is that I'm saying. And... It, I don't think it was, um, honestly, I don't think it was, it was a conscious bias. I think it really was more of an unconscious bias because we do um, belong to an environment where traditionally we associate leadership with men, right? It's only really in the past years wherein there has been more of a discussion about these implicit biases that exist, um, wherein... We, we tend to subscribe un unconsciously to, to sexist beliefs, right? Um, in fact, there was a study that came out last week how, unfortunately, 99.5% of Filipinos subscribe to biases against women. And my friend, who is a you know proud feminist, messaged me and she said, this is such a high percentage, for sure it includes you and me, right? Even if we 
are advocates of women empowerment. And so that's such a sobering thought. Lynn, I, <laughs> Lynn, I just want to interrupt to add something else. I've lived in a lot of different countries right. and Philippines is now my home, yeah. right? What's so interesting to me about that, especially with the statistic you've just shared, Lynn, is the, the, the irony of the situation is that women run a lot of households. Right. <laughs> Financially, they are breadwinners. You have a lot of single parents, um, women raising children, uh, women, female OFWs. I mean, really, there is no doubt how like instrumental women are in, you know, essentially, first of all, bringing money back into the country. And secondly, in raising the next generation, right? Right. And in many cases, because I also work with a lot of women, female clients, right? In many cases, they do it without the help of men. Okay, because there aren't very many laws that I think are also protecting women um, in our country, right, as as there might be in other countries, right? So you've got this whole thing happening, and yet you've got such a high statistic, you know, like the one you've shared. Like, it's just like mind-boggling. <laughs> you know, why isn't there more recognition and respect of the for the role of women, right? right? So... You know, thank you for bringing that up. Um, and and it was just such a great point to kind of re, re, um, reaffirm that there really is change that is needed. But, okay, go ahead. Tell me more. Yeah, so to your point, I, and it's, it's also something I wrote about in my column today. I think the fact that, you know, we've had two female presidents, for example, and now we see more female leaders. I think the problem with that is it makes us lazy um, or it makes us complacent about really reflecting on what are the different sexist beliefs that still exist and that still persist um, that occurs in everyday conversations or in everyday interactions. And because we're so complacent, we are unconsciously absorbing these ideas that it really you know, resides in our unconscious because the brain is like that, right? It always looks for patterns. So if the pattern that we're constantly exposed to is that women are still the inferior sex, even if we obviously, as you had (laughs) illustrated with your different examples, we obviously are the ones doing most of the work and that's supported by statistics. Heavy lifting. (laughs) Exactly. We shoulder majority of the unpaid care labor, right? In In the Philippines. And we still manage to work and we still manage to, to put um, food on the table, right? So it women, Filipino women are amazing. And that's why it was so worrisome for me um, to hear that statistic as well, how we still tend to look down on our on our own sense of um, like on our own gender, right? On our own sense of self. And that's why, to me, our work in She Talks Asia, which is really it's a women-focused platform and community, is so important because it's all about pushing for better narratives. Um, I don't think we can unlearn all these unconscious biases overnight, right? Because, like I said, they're unconscious and they're very much deep-rooted. But if there is a way for us to keep slowly changing the narratives we're exposing girls and young women to, then maybe we will see those fruits in the next generation. 
last Saturday, we had our first tribe council meetup. So this is, you know, the volunteers for She Talks Asia. It's an opportunity for us to gather and share our stories. And we had a guest speaker who shared that she was promoted as a young leader, but then the people around her hated her to the point that they even made a group chat um, just to rant about her. And they named the, the group chat, I hate Jamie, because her name was Jamie. And then after she shared that, a lot of girls in the audience, a lot of the young women in the audience who were also um, who also got promoted early or who were also assigned certain roles early, they shared their own experiences how they received hate from both men and women when they got promoted. But their male colleagues who also got promoted didn't receive any hate, right? So um, <laughs> I really feel frustrated at times when I talk about this because one thing I often heard last March during Women's Month was, we don't need more women-focused events. Women here enjoy the same rights as men. Um, but again, to me, really, the that's avoiding the... Or that's finding ways to camouflage the problem, which is deep down, yeah. we still subscribe to sexist beliefs. And there's really a lot of things to uncover and to unlearn. I agree with you completely. You know, we should be at that point where it's like women uplifting women, you know, women having each other's backs, but you just have to go through social media and, you know, you can see the kind of like negative energy there is um, with, you know, how women might be perceiving other women and what they do. And, you know, there's just, I, I see that we're just not there yet where it's this kind of beautiful community of sharing and love and support for each other. Right. And I think it comes from the fact that we don't have a supportive environment mm -hmm from the time we were children, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's just, it's like something that's very deep rooted, you know, it's something that's systemic. It's, it's like even among families, um, just again, sharing my experiences from the women I've worked with, you know, it's, it's not like they really get much slack. You know, I don't think anybody really gets much slack. If you are, if you are an older sister, you got to take care of your children and you're expected to do it. Mm -hmm. And then when you grow older, you know, like it's, it never stops. It's from the time you're a child where it's like, you are expected to do this. Right. You have to take on this responsibility. You are always doing way more than you ever should, Right. We, you know, and it's always the, the women who have to do it sometimes more than the, the boys. Correct. We are socialized to be perfect and to, and to overperform. And so we grow yeah. up thinking we're not good enough or we have to meet 200% of the qualifications to be enough. And for sure. And that's really sad, right? How we and because that's how we've been trained, if you're not aware, that's how you're going to condition your daughters as well. So we really have to be careful sure. and we have to educate ourselves about these you know, sexist norms that we have been taught to think is okay. So then let's talk about like you and me. Okay. Um, up until now, we've been talking about very generalized situation out there. Right. Okay. Now I'm married. I have children. I have a husband, right? I'm a working woman. Uh, I have um, a lot going on as I know you do. <laughs> right. And um, I find myself, despite everything I'm doing, still feeling like, it's my job to take care of things in the house, mm -hmm. 
You know, I, I still have that kind of underlying um, program, I would say, that the kitchen is my domain. Mm-hmm. The food that my children eat is my domain. You know, so like I do the groceries, I manage the food, I manage my staff. Having said that, my husband is very involved. So he really handles some of the staff. You know, he, he handles like bills that need to get paid or like the maintenance or you know, all of that kind of stuff he handles. So we do share in the house. But at the same time, I find myself and I'm, you know, I'm educated. I'm a firm believer of like equality and a partnership between man and woman. And yet, just because of the way I'm raised, because my mother was a homemaker and she took care of the house, right? If there's anything wrong with that aspect of the house, I find myself being like, wait, that's my responsibility. I need to step up. And um, it got to a point where, you know, things were so busy for me that I had to ask for help. And I sat down and I I talked to my husband. Um, And this has happened actually twice. It happened the first time when we were considering a third pregnancy. And I was like, I don't think I can handle a third child with all the other responsibilities. And I had to talk to him and be like, I'm going to need help. You know, if we are going to do a third child, I need to figure out how we're going to make this work because I can't do it the way we are doing things. I'm at my maximum capacity. And so he actually took over all the groceries. He took that whole thing off my plate. Mm -hmm. Okay. But eventually it came back to me. (laughs) Yeah. And once again, we got to a point where it got super busy and um, between the three kids and everything going on. And plus I'm studying, I was telling you, like I got to a point where I'm like, well, I can't do it. I can't manage things. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I've given up trying to be the best at everything and realize I have certain things that I'm going to prioritize and certain things that just aren't as much as a priority to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Like, for example, it is not my priority to be like the person who um, maybe is the best cook. Right. That's just not my thing. Yeah. And I'm not going to attempt to do it anymore. I'm not going to put those unrealistic pressures on myself. So I had to sat, sit down with my husband and I had to once again say, we need to kind of talk about this. So I was teaching him. Right. Like, Han, this, I know this, these are things I just normally do. And these are things you normally do. And I'm not saying that you aren't an equal partner, but you need to understand these things. Like I had to sit down and have this very difficult conversation where it was like, I do not think I can handle everything mm-hmm. in the best way. So we need to, I need help. We need to figure this out, you know? And it was a hard conversation because to say that made me feel like I am in some way lacking mm-hmm. in my ability mm-hmm. Right. And then you and then I caught myself even looking at my friends and being like, but they're able to do these things. You know, they're able to like host events and take care of this. But I have a job all day, so I can't, you know, or even someone sends us a really thoughtful gift. And I'm like, I can't do that because I'm just working all the time. I don't have space to do that little bit of extra. And I had to catch myself and be like, wait, it's not a comparison. Mm. It's okay." And I coached myself to it. But. So, so the first thing that's coming out of, you know, what I'm saying right now is I think we have to teach the men around us how to, you know, 
almost reframe mm-hmm. the relationship for sure. and the roles for sure right yes. so that's one thing and i think when when we do teach it to them we are teaching it to ourselves because i know for a long time i i just thought this is just something i got to do on my own right. and if i'm not doing it well i got to do it better right? right until i realize that no it's not about that mm-hmm. i'm already doing a lot mm-hmm. i'm actually doing an incredible of a lot mm-hmm. so i need to kind of get help right, right? so i had to teach him and teach myself it's okay to teach him. <laughs> so for me that's a major thing. Yeah. Now is there anything in your own life and your experiences um maybe with your husband maybe roles mm-hmm. you've played where it has been a struggle it has been subtle but you are still part of it because I'm part of right. it you know and we've, we've already acknowledged that we are part of that 99% that in some way it's just subtle but it's there mm-hmm. and how have you come back. Right. So I love the I love your story because to me that highlights an, uncon- an unconscious bias, right? Your mental model of a good mother is a homemaker who's good at everything around the house and when you weren't able to deliver on certain aspects, you felt inadequate and you had to really coach yourself out of it. I mean, it's a good thing you had those tools, but can you just imagine all the other women who don't necessarily have that um i think for Absolutely. right i think for me i'm a very <laughs> i've always been very stubborn and i do remember i mean i'm a generally a messy person and i remember hearing my mom when i was growing up she would always tell me like if you don't fix your mess you're never going to find a good husband because no man will ever want a messy lady for a wife but you know i'm i'm very stubborn and i'm also lin <laughs> Lynn, I have to add to that. My mom's thing was if you can't cook and you can't feed your husband, right. you know, no man is going to want you. So I think every mom has that one thing, right? Yeah. Like that they they get on our case for. It's like inbuilt in the relationship. Right. But anyways, go well, on. It's funny because I still that's also another thing my mom says. So every time we go to my parents' house on Sundays, she makes sure to feed my husband because she knows that I really can't cook for him during the week. So that's how she kind of compensates. Um but anyway, I think for me um you know my challenges I I run a school, right? And when you run a school, there are prescriptive biases for how a woman should look how a woman should dress and how a woman should act and when i was younger i was very conscious of it because i would hear other people older people say that's now that's not how an educator should look like before i you know i, I used to be hard on myself like right now i'm wearing sleeveless right because it, i mean we live in a hot country right um and um but there's a certain i guess there's a certain image that we are expected to conform as women and again especially for me because i'm in a profession wherein there are additional rules uh because of the impact you can have on on, on children and and you know in their formation or how they they view things i think for the longest time i really resisted um certain aspects about Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The need to please other people, even if they're not necessarily something I believed in. Meaning I was doing certain things because I believe that I had to embrace those biases or I had to, I had to, I guess I had to conform in order to be light. And again, like you said, these can be very subtle things, right? It's, it's um, like wearing a bikini to the beach, <laughs> for example. I mean, it sounds so, like, it sounds so superficial, but it's but to me it just it just it's just an example of how sexism can happen in the little things and then it can influence your way of thinking when it comes to big things because to me wearing a not wearing a bikini to the beach because I'm a, I'm a female educator for example in my head because I was conditioned to be worried about that even when I want to speak up, um, for example, I find myself in a meeting with men and I want to correct them for particular issues or thoughts they had about working with low-income communities, right? Because there's also a lot of biases that exist there. Because I was conditioned to follow, I also felt um, that I couldn't speak up um, in a larger setting because I also had to conform to how the environment was. Um, so I think that's how it was for me. Um, but like I said, when I was in my late 20s, that's really when I realized that a reason why I'm confused is because my basis for doing things was what society thought of me rather than what I stood for. And when I stopped to say, what are the values that I stand for? And to me, that's integrity, excellence, empathy, humility. The moment I put them down on paper, then the easier it was for me to assess, okay, does this align with those values? If yes, then do it. If not, then don't. If people are mad because you're doing something that's aligned with your values, I mean, don't care about them. <laughs> because what matters is what you stand for. I, I have a couple of things that I want to kind of bring up with you, okay, based on what you said, which was really, really interesting. Um, so firstly, I totally relate to you. Uh, when I got into healing, well-being, and spirituality, I was, you know, I was in my 20s, and I dressed like a 20-year-old girl. Mm -hmm. I remember I once did like a, a talk in the Philippines, and there was like, it was my, my first month here. 
maybe there was like 60, 70 people who came to hear what I was talking about, right? But I was wearing high heels and a short skirt because that's the way I dress. You know, I was in my 20s. I was young. And um, I remember, because I'm, I'm psychic, I remember standing in front of the room and I'm about to start my talk and I can hear people being like, she doesn't dress like a spiritual person. <laughs> like, she doesn't look like a spiritual person. Like, they were already questioning my credibility right. based on how I was dressed. Okay? And I've always been a rebel. I've always been the type of girl who's been like, I'm going to be me, you know, because I kind of grew up not conforming mm-hmm. to my society or my culture or even to my parents' maybe expectations of, you know, what was the good behavior or so on. I was always a rebel and they loved me for it. You know, it's not that I was like uh, rejected for it, but definitely I, I created, you know, a lot of, um, you know, drama <laughs> in my, in my life. But in any case, I strong, I, I strongly believe in being yourself. Right. But I also noticed that my clothing, mm-hmm. the way I had presented myself was distracting from my message. Right. And a lot of them couldn't hear me because they were too busy looking at me and judging me for how I looked. Okay. And so there was like, on one hand, I want to be truly me. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, it's not about me. Mm -hmm. It's about my message. It's about my voice. It's about how I'm going to be able to impact people. And over time, I found like a happy medium where I still want to be myself, but I do believe that sometimes you've got to play the rules of the game. Mm -hmm. You can't get your foot in the door if you don't maybe pay heed to the norms and the rules. And you have to find your way in and then make your voice heard. Because you can't change things from the outside. You can only change them from the inside. Right. So you got to like penetrate inside first. You know, you got to go into the middle of it all and then, you know, see what you can do from right. there. And I think for a long, long time, I struggled with, you know, how does my identity fit into all of this? Um, I also noticed that as I got more comfortable with myself and I went on my own self-love, self-acceptance journey, it became easier to find that sense of acceptance around right. me. Okay, so that's kind of like one of the first things. And I totally relate with you, um, you know, what you said. The second point I wanted to make was, it's actually a question. You said the minute you put down your values, Mm -hmm. right, you suddenly knew kind of how to, um, maybe how to make decisions or choices that were aligned with your values. And how how I understand it is, It's like up until we have our values set, because most people don't, Mm -hmm. right? You know, most people have no idea what their values are, okay? So when we don't have a set of values to act as a compass, right? right, We simply make decisions based on society's rules, based on like what are are the prejudgments? What have we grown up with? You know, what are the expectations? We just, that's the default because we don't know any better. I think that when you sit down and you become very clear about your values and you create something called a value filter, Mm -hmm. okay, because that's actually what I did for myself and that's what I see you've done perhaps is like now you have a filter that says, well, 
is this going to agree with this value? Mm -hmm. If it doesn't, I'm not going to do it. Is it going to meet the second value or the third value? So you kind of go down the list and you're like, I don't need to subscribe to society's rules because I have my own set of rules, mm -hmm. right? I have my own set of values that are going to guide every choice I make. Right. Was that how it was for you, Lynn? That it was like, once I put my values, now I have my own standards. Right. I have my own inner compass, you know, my North Star to say, this is how I'm going to do it. Yeah. And was it kind of like an instant, like now that I have it, okay, I know what I stand for. Is that how it was? Yes, definitely. Um, and to your point, like I said earlier, one of the things I stand for is empathy. And the reason why I chose that as a main value is because, you know, it's easy to look at the shortcomings of the world and the shortcomings of the people around you and be frustrated. But what I've come to see or what I've come to realize is that when you view everything through a lens of empathy, then it also helps you understand, okay, people act or think of us in, in a certain way because of a certain circumstance in their life, right? The world is like this. Uh, maybe right now the world is male-oriented um, because of certain things that happened during history that, that just made it so easy for us to cater to this kind of mindset and to adopt the, these kinds of biases. And because I view things from that standpoint, I find myself very hopeful, right? Like So even when I'm faced with difficult situations, I have a tendency to see, okay, so this is how the world works. You're right. How do we change it from within? How do we use these rules? How do we play by these rules? But at the same time, how do we make little steps towards progress? And definitely, right. that's it for me. Um, going back to the experience I shared earlier, I have accepted the fact that being an educator comes, again, with a, with a big responsibility. So I can't wear a bikini to school. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. And like you said, it's going to distract from the message. And what for? Yes, even if it's hot, even if we don't have air-conditioned rooms because we are a low-income school or a nonprofit school, it doesn't make sense. It's going to distract away from the kids studying. But I've also made, um, you know, I've also accepted the fact that, okay, but if I want to wear a, a swimsuit to the beach, I will, right? And if it means that, um, you know, I just can't be posting so many pictures, for example, all the time. Um, then that's fine, right? Because, because like you said, now it's an empowered choice. Before, I wasn't wearing a bikini to the beach because I was conforming. But once I put down my values, then I realized, okay, now I'm choosing not um, to wear a certain thing to school. Now I'm choosing to play by the rules because I know I have this intention to, um, to help change it along the way. And to me, that makes all the difference. It's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. It's all about an empowered choice. And it's like exercising your right to choice, right? right? Like if I choose not to do something, you know, then it's very empowering Correct. as opposed to from a place of fear, I'm not going to do Correct. it or I'm afraid of judgment yes. or they will label me this way and that then I will accept that. So I think you're right. And that is such a beautiful insight from just this conversation <laughs> that it's about making that empowered choice and decision. Now, Lynn, tell me about the third pillar 
Okay, the third pillar is elevating discourse. And um, I know that you, uh, you know, you took part in the Obama Foundation Leaders Asia Pacific Program. And that was a couple of years ago, but it was a leadership program. And I know that that is something that has made quite the impact on your life as well. So tell me about that. Um, and then I have a really interesting question after that, that I want to get to. <laughs> okay. Um, so elevating discourse for me is important. Like I said earlier, um, empathy is one of the values I stand for. And, you know, one of the things that um, I always struggle with is that I'm a, I'm a Catholic and because I'm Catholic, there are certain also, you know, values that I subscribe to that are not necessarily um, like the most famous stance, right? Um, or it's not necessarily the most popular stance um, when it comes to certain issues. And I realized, though, that when I was younger, the way I practice my faith is that if you don't agree with me, then we can't talk. Or if you don't agree with me, then there must be, you know, you must be coming from, you know, like you, mu you must not understand me. Or you, you, if you don't agree with me, then really our values are not aligned. And honestly, that's right. something I had to unlearn, right? Because what I've come to realize is that part of empathy is really being able to understand the context of the people that you're talking to. And in fact, because I now have empathy, I feel like I'm also now able to practice my faith in the way that I am able to reach out to people who don't necessarily share the same views. And I feel like the reason why I'm so passionate about elevating this course is because there's a tendency for us to do monologues online, meaning we tend to stay in our echo chambers. We're only aware of our certain reality. Even if the world is so much bigger, we still gravitate towards our bubbles, right? Like the bubbles that we've created for ourselves. And to me, elevating discourse is about putting different people in the same room who don't share the same beliefs and coming out of that room educated, and respecting people or respecting the side of people who don't share the same ideas that they do. And um, that's something I really got. Um, even before the Obama um, leadership program, you know, I, I, I already subscribed to that. But being in that room really solidified, I guess, that stance. Because what I saw in that program is that they were really able to gather, um, I guess, like young leaders who are trying to create change in, in, in their own um, context. And you also see the creative solutions that come out. And for me, I wouldn't have been exposed to that if I didn't find myself in a room of such diverse people with such enriching perspectives. Because actually, that's really what I love about these international programs, right? I, you come home feeling very much enriched because you now you've now realized that one, the world does not revolve around you. And second, <laughs> and second, there are really so many people doing amazing things in the world. The other program I went to before the Obama program is the UNAOC. So this is a UN-sponsored program. 
And during my cohort, they had a representative from Israel and Palestine, which, of course, as you know, um, their countries are stuck in, in, in this conflict that has raged on right. yeah, for quite some, you know, for a long time. It's still ongoing. And in the beginning, they weren't talking to each other. But towards the end of the program, I don't remember what sparked. I think it was a group activity. But by the end of that activity, they shared, both of them, and they said, you know, I grew up thinking he was a villain. And then the one said, I grew up thinking he was a monster. But this um, program allowed us to see where they're coming from. It allowed me to see also some misconceptions I have about them. And I just love that. And I really feel that can only happen through discourse. Because I think people have forgotten to talk to each other respectfully. We've forgotten to dialogue because we're so used to, to sharing our thoughts and then waiting for other people to like them and waiting to be validated rather than seeking out someone who doesn't share the same perspectives and who doesn't share the same points of view as we do. I totally get it, you know, Lynn, because this has actually been something I've had to work through myself. Um, you use the word echo chamber, which is great, you know, because that's how I feel most groups of people are. It is like their private echo chamber. And we tend to gravitate towards people who share our same kind of beliefs and, and outlook and perspective. And the problem with that is you're in one big giant chamber, <laughs> giant echo chamber. All you're doing is echoing what the next person says. And there's no space, there's no room there for growth, mm -hmm. right? And and it is beautiful to see when when you have these diverse perspectives and how they can come together and they can, as you said, come up with creative solutions. But I also do think that most people are afraid. Mm -hmm. Most people are afraid that if they speak up, they will get shut down, okay? Yeah. And that comes from the fact that, you know, many people grew up being told to be quiet, mm -hmm. you know, that they shouldn't talk back, they shouldn't voice. So again, that is another systemic problem of us not being able to speak up, right? right? But when we do learn to speak up, it's recognizing that someone's perspective, which is different from mine, is not something to fear. It is something to, to welcome and to learn from. And you're right, we do need to learn to speak to each other with respect. Mm -hmm. Like if we could listen with respect, and if we could communicate back with respect, then we would get to discourse that would get us to these like, you know, new insights and beautiful, you know, I would imagine beautiful um, outcomes. Right. So that that was just really um, such an important and valuable point. I, I appreciate that you brought that up. Now, um, the question I, I actually wanted to end our conversation today with is about relationships, because I read some of your articles and the one that I really um, wanted to bring up on today's episode, because this, epi this, this podcast is really a lot about self-love, self-discovery, but also about relationships. Mm -hmm. And I tend to bring up a lot of um, conversations on relationships, because I do think, from my experience of working with people, Relationships are usually our biggest source of stress, okay? Almost everyone out there has one or more relationships that is challenging at any given time. I know that's a generalization, but it tend to, tends to happen because we do learn about ourselves, right, through relationships. Now, you talked about how 
your relationship with your husband, you know, is, is unique in that he doesn't feel threatened by some of these gender roles, right? And um, you talked about relationship green flags to look to look for in a relationship, which I thought was great because you're always reading about relationship red flags. (laughs) Yours is the first time I saw green flags. And I was like, we don't talk enough about the green flags, right? We're always talking about the fear-based perspective. Mm -hmm. What about, you know, the the love-based perspective, the positive things that we can look for? So talk to me a little bit about that and how, you know, despite, despite, women's empower maybe despite is the wrong word lynn that women's empowerment can coexist with the idea and the notion of having you know a beautiful loving relationship and partnership with someone in your life and you don't have to be you know alone to be an empowered woman right because i think sometimes that confusion is there right like i i have to be so independent i can't depend on a man you know that's women's empowerment or that's the feminist point of view right Mm -hmm. i think sometimes there's a bit of confusion there so as someone who really speaks to her relationship as something that you've learned and gained a lot from and an advocate of women's empowerment tell me how you bring these two together I shared in that blog post how right after the pandemic, we attended this event and then the host greeted us apologetically because my husband's like name card read Mr. Miguel Pinugu. Um, and that's uh, that's something that often happens because I didn't change my last name, right, when we got married. And because in some circles, I'm more known than he is, then he tends to get labeled as Mr. Pinugu. Our laundry is also labeled um, as Mr. Pinugu. So it's it's a running joke between us. But what I share there is that, you know, that's one of my relationship flag, green flags about my husband. It's that he never felt insecure about my accomplishments. He never felt insecure that um, there are days when people, you know, when people know me more than, uh, or people know more about my last name than his last name. And it's funny because I actually wrote that article as my seventh year wedding anniversary gift to him. Um, the backstory there is the pandemic has really, I guess, made me reflect of how important having a supportive relationship is. And by supportive, it's not about being perfect, right? Because as you would know, um, part of being married is that you realize that you are now living with someone and both your flaws are magnified like one million times, right? (laughs) But it's about being being given the space to be human. When... My husband and I got married. Um, one of the good things that I noticed is that we have we have such a good way of communicating to each other. We can talk about everything from who does the dishes, he does the dishes, by the way, to who, who's in charge of making sure the fridge is clean, clean me. So I'm supposed to, you know, throw away all the takeouts and stuff. I guess what I'm trying to say is that we both came into the marriage understanding that this is a partnership, that's one. But second, we wanted to concretize what a partnership means. 
And to me, that's so important because really, you know, I haven't changed. I'm still very messy around the house. And add to that that I am doing many things. And if my husband, if my husband's expectation of a woman is that she will make sure the house is clean all the time, then definitely this marriage would not work. Um, but because, again, I find myself in a relationship wherein we can talk about things and I'm allowed to be human, I think that's so important. One of the biggest fears I have, for example, is infidelity because that's something I experienced in my past relationship. So I really came into the marriage with a lot of trust issues. And my husband told me, um, I remember this, he said, you know, um, you know the commitment that a parent makes to their kid that you know you even if you you don't know how but you know that when you have a kid you're gonna make sure that person doesn't go hungry and my husband said that's the same kind of commitment I have to you now I'm not sure that I will be my 100% all the time meaning I'm not sure that I will be able to fulfill that promise all the time but at least you know I'm starting with that commitment and I really appreciate that level of honesty because this is not a person who's pretending that he's perfect, but this is a person who's willing to acknowledge where he's coming from and is committing to be the best um, person, best version of himself for me. And I think that's so important because the reason why I'm able to pursue a lot of things is because my husband is so supportive of those endeavors. I also feel that I... I also feel that I don't have to apologize um, for being successful, which again is important for a woman. I don't feel like I have to dim my light, right? We often hear that. We often hear a lot of women say that I try to adjust just so my husband doesn't feel insecure. That's something I never felt the pressure to. So I do think that part of being an empowered woman is also knowing the kind of partnership that you deserve. Right. And to me, this is how I feel a relationship should look like, which is my husband really sees me as an equal, but also my husband sees me as a human being. And because of that, I don't feel the pressure to be perfect. And I also don't feel um, the pressure to, to be 100% all the time. I don't know if that I love made that, sense. You know, Sorry. <laughs> total, total sense. And I, I, you know what I love about that is it goes back to values, right? Yeah. We've been talking in this episode, Lynn, about values and how when we have our values, you don't compromise anymore and you don't make decisions based on what's outside of you. Right. It's very much your own choice and you're making those empowered choices when you have your values straight. Right. And it sounds like that is also how you have chosen the person to be with because it aligns with your values and it's very clear to you what are those values that are important in a relationship and I I heard you say you know equality is really important that kind of empathy yes exactly is also important yeah. right because because really just seeing each other as humans to me translates to having empathy for each other being able to see things from each other's perspective and step into each other's shoes when need be Right. And I think, you know, we just kind of came right back to full circle <laughs> in our conversation. And and that just shows how aligned you are in every aspect of your life. I do. I started off this episode 
I started off this episode talking about alignment. Yeah. And I'm ending the episode saying, this is exactly what you embody. <laughs> Thank you so Congratulations. much. I did want to add that, you know, like looking for relationship green flags, it's not just looking for it in your partner, but also reflecting whether you're, you know, whether you're also being a safe space, whether you're also able to give off that relationship green flags. And I guess that goes back to what you said, that alignment is an ongoing process for me. It's a constant reflection. Uh, I don't want to be complacent about how I live my values. And so I really do try to start and end my day reflecting on whether I lived in a way that has made myself proud today. <laughs> Beautiful. So, Lynn, we are at the end of the episode, and I always ask my guests for their project Loving Myself mantra or message, something you would like to share with our listener or something that you live by, you know, which allows you to stay in that space of alignment and self-love and integrity with yourself. What would you like to share? Oh, um, I think... One of the things that I have a hard time, or not a hard time with, but one of the things I try to remind myself is there are things that we should let go of, right? Because we are conditioned to, to be perfect or to get everything perfect. And sometimes we get mad about the little things or we care too much about the little things. So one of the things I always ask about or one of the things I always try to reflect on is, will this matter in the long run? So will this matter in the long run? And if it doesn't really, um, I let it go. But if it's something that some it's something that you know is going to have a significant impact on my life, then and then I pursue it, right? So I think that's helpful because, like what you said, alignment. That's how I keep myself aligned. Is this something that's going to matter in the long run? I like that because it's a very like zoom out perspective. Let's look at the bigger picture, you know, let's not sweat the small stuff. So I think that's a very empowering question. And I want to thank you for that. Lynn, it has been an absolute delight chatting with you, getting to know you better and learning all about this big vision and mission that you have really more power to the work you've been doing. Um, I'm so you know, I'm so happy to actually connect with you, to meet more people like you who are making that impact in the world. It is definitely something very inspiring. And I'm so glad to have you on the show to inspire um, my listeners as well. So thank you once again. Um, Lynn, how do people follow you, get in touch, you know, norm, know more about some of your advocacies and your organizations the floor is yours. If you'd like to reach out, you may reach me on Instagram at Lynn Pinugu, or you may email me at eleanorachitalksasia.com. But I also hope that you could follow uh, the certain advocacies that I have. So it's www.manomegaph.org and www.shetalksasia.org.com. <laughs> Sorry. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you so much, Lynn. It was really, it was really great. Thank you, Sanaya. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I know you've definitely found some inspiration, guidance, and empowerment in our conversation with the remarkable Lynn Pinugu. Now let's take a moment to reflect on some key takeaways. 
First and foremost, we learned the importance of creating alignment in our lives. Our values or beliefs and actions should be in harmony, creating a beautiful dance that moves us towards our life purpose. Remember, the puzzle pieces of our mission aren't scattered all over the place. We don't need to go outside of ourselves to find them. They are within us. And all you got to do is go inward to find out your purpose. Now, Lynn's own journey of self-discovery and finding her life purpose serves as a powerful example. By aligning her values, beliefs, and actions, and going back to you know, what, what, does, what is she passionate about? What are those life experiences in her life that has created sort of the, the seed for her personal why? Being aware of that, understanding that has allowed her to make a profound impact in the fields of education for all, women's empowerment, and elevating discourse. And I love what she said about, you know, how discourse, how conversations allows us to come up with these creative solutions and to learn more about ourselves and each other. Now think about what kind of an impact you want to make. It can be as small or as big as you want it to be. I think this is a great opportunity to go inside of yourself and think about, you know, what, what are you here to do? We also talked about Lynn's organizations such as Mano Amiga Philippines and She Talks Asia, which are actively contributing to the pillars that she identified as being most important to her. Through these initiatives, she's breaking barriers, she's providing mentorship and economic opportunities, and she gets to foster genuine dialogue within society. I mean, how does it get more fulfilling than that? I think it's pretty incredible. Another key aspect that emerged from our conversation was the significance of having, you know, the right person by your side, having like a strong support system. And I think making that right choice and finding someone who aligns with your values and your beliefs, you know, will really provide you with that, um, that foundation, that support system, that, you know, that shoulder to lean on when you feel like giving up in your life or when you feel challenged by whatever is going on. So I think all in all, this was a pretty insightful conversation. Wouldn't you say so? Now, before we part ways, I want to remind you to mark your calendars because new episodes of Project Loving Myself Season 6 will release every Monday. Join me as we embark on more empowering conversations and insight like today, that's going to help you on your journey of self-love and personal growth. And make sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode. I do believe that, you know, the episodes you listen to, you know, at the right moment, you get that message that, you know, that kind of, it makes you feel like, oh, that's what I can't, that's what I'm listening to this episode for. There's always that key takeaway or moment where you're like, oh my God, she's speaking to me. This is what it is. This is what's for me. And these are moments that I identify with because whenever I go to learn something new or I listen to somebody else speak, I get those kind of aha moments and insights as I imagine you get on these episodes. Now, I would love to hear if you agree with me, you know, I would love to get your thoughts on this episode. So share your takeaways, your reflections and personal stories on our social media channels. Don't forget to tag at Project Loving Myself podcast and at Sanaya Gurnamal when you post about us in stories. 
Your support and engagement means the world to me as I strive to reach more and more people just like you who are waiting to join the Project Loving Myself movement, the journey of going within. And now let's conclude this episode with a quote that I think perfectly encapsulates the essence of today's episode. Jack Canfield, author of Chicken Soup for the Soul, says, the things that bring you the greatest joy are in alignment with your purpose. So it's actually not that difficult to figure out your purpose and to find that alignment. It's all about finding the things that bring you joy. On that note, keep dancing, keep aligning, and keep embracing the beautiful journey of self-discovery and purpose. Until next time, stay blessed and keep loving yourself. Thank you for joining me on the Project Loving Myself podcast brought to you by Podcast Network Asia and powered by Pod Machine. You are loved. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.